Recovery Elevator, episode 273. The one day at a time thing never really worked for me. I've tried it. But I keep telling myself, you're stronger than alcohol. You're stronger than alcohol. And I feel like that's true. And I want to be free from the alcohol. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Carrie. She's 42 years old from Centralia, Missouri, and she took her last drink on April 7th, 2020. Gosh, that's a hero sobriety date right there. And shout out to Courtney H. in New York who just hit one year alcohol free. Great stuff, Courtney. Hey guys, we've got two great sponsors lined up for the show today. With one of them, a company called Tiger Tail reached out to me. The owner is in sobriety. His name is Matt. He said, hey, Paul, I've been listening to the show for a while. I'm wondering if, if we can sponsor your podcast. So Tiger Tail makes high-quality dog leashes and dog collars. And right now, and I'm looking at him as I record this, my sober sidekick rock star, Standard Poodle Ben, is wearing one of Tiger Tail's blue, I think it's the Urban Nomad collars, high-quality stuff. And guys, this podcast is free and a great way to support this podcast if you find value from it is to support our sponsors. And we've got two great ones today. We've got Tiger Tail and Monument, which we're going to hear about Monument right before the interview with Carrie. So let's learn more about Tiger Tail. Tiger Tail is an American-made premium dog gear company. Tiger Tail dog leashes and collars are odorless and waterproof, have an easy-to-operate clasp, and are backed by a lifetime warranty. I got to tell you guys, I'm very excited about this new sponsor on a personal level. As frequent listeners know, I love my standard poodle, Ben. He's been a huge part of my sobriety journey. I was recently contacted by Matt and one of the co-founders of Tiger Tail asking if I'd be interested in trying out their products. Matt is in recovery and is a fan of the podcast and a dog lover. Tiger Tail has three different styles of luxury, vegan friendly leashes. I've used all of their leashes and I love the urban nomad leash. It's perfect for when Ben and I hit the trails. Ben is currently wearing a light blue tiger tail collar and dang, does he look good. I love tiger tails mission too. One of the positive things I've discovered during this pandemic is that animal shelters are nearly empty. Instead of isolating, people are adopting dogs and getting outside. That's where tiger tail comes in. 1% of all their revenue supports dog shelters. How cool is that? And right now for recovery elevator listeners only, you can get 15% off any tiger tail order on Amazon by using the promo code elevator 15 caps. Don't matter. Just go to amazon.com forward slash tiger tail dog. Again, amazon.com forward slash tiger tail dog and use the promo code elevator one five to explore the perfect leash for you and your furry friend. It's that last dog leash that you're ever going to buy. In eight days on Tuesday, May 19th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern, we've got a six-week course titled Ditching the Booze, the What, the Why, and the How Beginning. And this course is for CAF ARE members. You can use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Week one, we're going to create accountability. You're going to be paired with a team leader and six other course members. Week two, we're going to discuss cravings. We're going to do a meditation to teach you how to get past those cravings. Week three, we're going to talk about routine and vitality. Week four, we're going to get coherent on that future vision of the alcohol-free self and start building it in the present moment. Week five, we're going to be covering mindfulness. Week six, we're going to be connecting the spirit. The opposite of addiction is connection, and we're going to learn how to reveal the illusion of fear and separation. 
This course is for Cafe RE members only and is included in Cafe RE membership. Go to recoveryelevator.com to register. Elephants. According to a post on Epic Elliptic's Facebook page, a group of 14 elephants wandered into a village in the Yunnan province in southwest China in search of corn and other foods. The tusked mammals instead stumbled upon 30 barrels of corn wine and proceeded to consume every drop. The animals were later found drunkenly passed out in a nearby tea garden. Um, the photos of the passed out elephants and the ensuing walk of shame are incredible. Oh yeah, I had a listener named Mia send me a beautiful poem about alcohol addiction that I'll read after the interview with Carrie. It's fantastic. You guys are going to love it. Okay, let's get started. You don't have to quit drinking to quit drinking. Now, what the hell does that mean? So I've been wanting to do this episode for a while now, but I've been pushing it into the future because it's a bit of a gamble if I don't pull it off correctly. The topic of addiction can be confusing, and the last thing I want to do is have someone listen to this intro and say, what the fuck was Paul talking about? But I think I can do this, and this message is powerful. So let's go for a spin. I first posted this prompt in our four Cafe RE private groups to test the waters before turning this into an episode. I wanted to see what they thought of it first. There are no right or wrong responses, but I'm going to list them in order from cold to hot in regards to what I was thinking. This first one is from Travis. He says, you can drink two days a week, yesterday and tomorrow. <laughs> Shit, now that I read that again on the air, I feel like that should be bumped up a couple spots. This next one is from Shauna. She says, hmm, you can still drink water, tea, kombucha, seltzer, NA beer, etc. Good point, Shauna. This next one is from Natasha. She says, you don't have to quit forever, just quit for today. All right, so we are heating up here. This next one is from Kate. She says, take up slash embrace an alcohol-free life versus quit drinking. Ooh, now we are on the right track. This next one is from Melissa. Once you figure out what purpose drinking serve for you, you'll find other ways to meet those needs. Mm, okay, we are heating up here. This next one is from Clifton. He says, I changed everything to quit drinking. Quitting drinking ended up being the byproduct of the life conversion. It's a small part of the story now. It's a small part of the story now. It's a small part of the story now. Ty, that's not a typo. Leave that in. Guys, we are heating up. Um, Clifton only wrote, it's a small part of the story now. I just added it two more times for effect. And this last one is from Nadine. She says, I think quitting drinking is a byproduct of lifestyle and thinking changes. Whoa, Nadine. If I had a ding, ding, ding sound effect, I'd insert that here. Ty, can we see if we can pull a sound effect in here? Any search database? Nothing? No? Can't find it? Okay. Well, free podcast. All right. Okay. So here we go. Let's give this a spin. When I first started this journey, I would postpone happiness unconsciously. I didn't know I was doing this. So I'd postpone happiness, wholeness, or not feeling like shit until I quit drinking. I would tell myself that things would be okay once alcohol was no longer part of my life. Again, these are all unconscious programs. I had no idea that I was telling myself this or this was actually happening. So I would say, tomorrow is the day. My new life begins without alcohol. And then once I opened my eyes on day one of my new life, blanketed by a hangover, I would tell myself, hmm, I'm not feeling the way I thought I would feel. So I guess it must be 24 hours from now. That's when I can be okay. 
So I would repeat this cycle of putting off happiness or self-worth until I hit one week, six months, one year, and more. You get the point. And then one day, and plant medicine assisted in turning on this light bulb, I recognized the insanity of this and realized I was tired, literally sick and tired, of putting off my happiness, a happy life, that I was fighting a happy life, that I was the roadblock to this happy life. And I realized the time to feel okay in my own skin, to be happy, to put two thumbs up was now. Not after a refi or a new car or another alcohol-free birthday. And real quick, why would anyone put off happiness to a later date? Why would anyone do that? Who would do that? Well, the who is me, you, and everyone else because it's the known. It's what's comfortable. Even if your story consists of shame, heaps of trauma, depression, crippling anxiety, it's still preferred over puppies and laughter because it's the known. It's still more comfortable than the unknown. And the unknown is where happiness lives. So I'm going to keep saying this shit until it sticks. I began to warm up to this concept, to the fact that there was nothing more I needed to do to feel wholeness, including quitting drinking or log another day without alcohol. I began to dip my toes into these emerald pools and it was scary. It was foreign. It was a whole new way of living. So once this profound concept is recognized, that you can give yourself permission, that you can give yourself permission, that you can give yourself permission, and Ty, that's not a typo, I didn't accidentally type that three times, we're going to go ahead and leave that in, that you can give yourself permission, that you can allow yourself to be happy in this moment. Once you realize this, the story, as Clifton said previously perfectly, becomes a smaller part of your life. The story becomes less important and it becomes less necessary that you're going to require alcohol to dull the pain moments in the story because it starts to soften. Once you recognize you don't need to quit drinking to be happy and you can be happy right now, then the need to drink goes away as in it dissolves. As in the biggest perceived problem in your life, alcohol, which has been trying to teach you that you can only taste a mango in this moment becomes less of your story and eventually goes away. By pulling your energies into being happy right now, the need to drink goes away. The goal of quitting drinking, which has been at the top of the list for probably close to a decade now, goes away. It's not something that's solved. It's as if your spouse took an eraser to your journal and erased all those entries. You can still see it there, but it's just a fine line, right? The lead from the pencil isn't completely jammed into the paper. The problem goes away. Once we feel okay, even joyful right now, the urge to drink begins to soften, and the evolution of this is an alcohol-free life begins to emerge without ever making the decision to quit drinking. It was a byproduct or a result of the decision to no longer delay happiness in life. Do you jive with me? Do you dig, listeners? Did we do okay? Yeah, I think we pulled it off. And if not, feel free to email me. I love talking about this stuff. Paul at recoveryelevator.com. If you do have questions about this concept, shoot me an email. I can make time to respond to these ones. I absolutely love this topic, this concept. In fact, it's one of the most profound, prolific topics of all time that all 12-step meeting topics eventually point to this. 
So we find ourselves in profound times for personal growth. The next time you say to yourself, once things go back to normal, stop right there. Because on the other end of that sentence is a trap. There always is. The other end of that sentence is the known. Don't even mentally go there. Currently in Cafe Ari, we are doing a new Earth Book Club by Eckhart Tolle. And I feel right now, it's almost as if we're watching a real-life PowerPoint presentation with COVID unfold with his teachings. Predominantly, the ego always unconsciously sets its own trap. This could be a wild ride, everyone. But keep in mind the Shakespeare quote, Nothing is either good or bad. Only thinking makes it so. And I've got one more fantastic resource I want to share with you before we hear from Carrie. I want to introduce you to a new company called Monument, an online treatment platform for those looking to change their relationship with alcohol. Designed to support sobriety or moderation, Monument connects you to free group support and affordable personalized medical treatment customized to your goals and lifestyle. Entirely online, Monument has worked with leading experts to build a research-based treatment plans, which include access to an anonymous community, virtual therapist-led support groups, and an option for one-on-one video therapy and physician-prescribed medication. The community and support groups are available for free everywhere, and the options for video therapy and medication are currently available in select number of states and expanding quickly. As a result of COVID-19, so many people are struggling to control their drinking or maintain their sobriety due to isolation, anxiety, and inaccessible coping mechanisms. To support the community through this time, Monument has made their therapist-led support groups completely free for the foreseeable future. Founder Mike Russell was inspired to create Monument after searching for treatment to change his own drinking habits. Confronted with a lack of options that fit with his lifestyle and preferences, Mike did the research and ultimately discovered a combination of medication and therapy that worked for him. Now Mike is working to make those tools more personalized and accessible than ever before. To learn more, visit joinmonument.com. Again, that website is joinmonument.com. Carrie, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Carrie, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Let's get right into this, Carrie. When was your last drink? That would have been a week ago on the 7th. 7th of April. And listeners, we're recording this on April 14th. So, Carrie, I just want to say fantastic job on seven days away from alcohol. I, I know it's been a journey it's been a challenge. There has been high peaks and low valleys to get to this moment right here with seven days alcohol free. I just want you to sit with that for a second and tell yourself fantastic job. And how does it feel? It feels good. It feels really good. Good. Well, I'm excited to share your journey with the audience because listeners, um, Carrie sent me an email a couple weeks ago and I read this and I said, you know what? I got to get this gal on the podcast. I don't even think she requested an interview. And so listeners, be careful. If you ever email me, I might, I might read it and say, wow, this is, this is what the listeners need to hear right now. And listeners, Carrie is seven days away from alcohol and, and she's, she's gaining traction. She's gaining purchase on this journey. And I'm excited to share the lessons that she's learned, the rock bottom moments with you guys. Cause I, um, it was a powerful email that she sent me. So I know this is going to be a raw, powerful, powerful interview. They all are, but, um, I'm excited to share this one with you guys. So Carrie, give listeners a little bit of information about yourself. Tell us where you're from, what you do for a living, and what you like to do for fun, how old you are, and do you have a family, and things like that. 
So I um, live in a very small town called Centralia, Missouri. Probably no one's ever heard of that. Probably 2,400 people. Here, you are I the am... first person from Centralia, Missouri to be interviewed on this podcast. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> um, probably most people in Centralia, Missouri have never heard of this podcast. How many people say, live but... there? Like 2,400. It's small. Wow. It's a very rural farming community. Okay. Okay. Keep going. But, uh, Anyway, I'm 42. I sell cars and I am a single mom. I have two kids, one, two boys, one's four and one's 18. One's four and one's 18, you said? Yes. Gotcha. Four and 18. It's quite a difference. It is. It is a difference. But you know what? There's no right or wrong way to do any of this. And what do you like to do for fun, Carrie? Well, you know, Paul, I'm trying to learn that about myself now. It's been such a long time since I've not drank a lot that I, I've pretty much gotten away from everything I like to do for fun. But I love baseball games. Me and my oldest son used to do that all the time. Spending time with my kids, I like to read. I like to bike. I love the outdoors and just, you know, enjoying nature. And Carrie, don't worry too much. If you haven't quite figured out what you like to do for fun after seven days away from alcohol, that's a common <laughs> response on this podcast. I'm serious. A lot of people are like, well, you know, Paul, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out. In fact, this guy, Jeff, about a hundred episodes ago, he explained it perfectly. He says, you know, this is almost like a science experiment where I pick up a new hobby, try it, you know, not for me. Let's try something else where it's possible we can now explore these, uh, these new activities. And I talk about flow states about 10 episodes ago where it's not really too important what we do, but it's important we find something where we can mentally, I say check out, but also be present with the activity. So go slow with that, Carrie. Those tasks or or, or those activities are slowly going to start to come back. And like you said, riding your bike, getting out in nature, double down on that stuff. And and so listeners, it's been a tumultuous 40 days for Carrie. I I understand she was let go from her job early March. There was treatment after that, but we're going to back it up well before that, Carrie. Give listeners a little background with your drinking. When did you first start? When did you first recognize that, hey, wait a second, this isn't what I was told um, what it would go with alcohol, right? This is taking me down a path I wasn't planning on going down. Where, When was the writing on the wall clear enough that you could recognize that this had to go? Were there any rock bottom moments? We're excited to hear your story, Carrie. And I want to remind you again that you are supported by the most loving and supportive audience out there. So take it away. Well, I grew up in a household of two alcoholics, so that didn't help the situation of understanding that I did or didn't have a problem. I think I took my first drink when I was 13, and I remember sneaking. My mom had this canister of whiskey, and I would pour water, and we'd drink it, and then I'd pour water in it, so she couldn't tell that we were actually drinking her alcohol. But I think I was in treatment twice before I was 18, So yeah, I've had a lot of rock bottom moments. I had about nine years sobriety after uh, the age of 18 until about the age of 27. And yeah, I had a lot of rock bottom moments. But most recently, it was just, it got to the point where it was way worse than it had ever, you know, I know that you've talked about this many times that it's progressive, and it's definitely been progressive with me. Where it became the point where I was drinking at, you know, six o'clock in the morning, straight vodka, which, you know, I never, I was always very, I would drink after five or I'd drink on the weekends. And, you know, then it just got to the point where it was not that easy. 
So, Carrie, I know a lot of listeners were nodding their head when you said, whoa, this got way worse. Just when we think the progression couldn't get any worse, well, go figure, then it happened. So I know a lot of people resonated with that. But let's let's back it up a little bit. You said you were nine years alcohol-free, nine years sober, until the age of 27. I think in your email you said you wanted to go out and socialize with mm-hmm. young people. Talk to us about that moment after nine years. Was it something like, you know what, I I think I'm good. I think I got this. I think that was a phase oh, that I'm out yeah. of. And what was that like when you started <laughs> drinking again? Definitely what you just said. I thought, well, you know, everybody's going out and they're having happy hours and they're having fun and everybody's, you know, networking and getting to know each other. And I want to do that too. And I'm like, well, gosh, I haven't drank in forever. And I mean, I was young. I was dumb. I made, you know, bad decisions because I was a kid, but so I justified it to myself that I thought I could pick up another drink and, and be okay. And, and I was for a while. I mean, I was a high functioning alcoholic for years, but I would say over the course of the last two years, it just took over my life. So it sounds like from 27 on you, you were drinking with, with, with impunity for the most part for a while. And then when did it start to ramp up again? When did it become problematic? So, I had my second son in 2015. I quit drinking while I was pregnant with him. It was pretty, up until that point, it was pretty moderate. I didn't drink excessively. I mean, I drank a lot, but it wasn't like it was recently. Um, But I, you know, I quit during my pregnancy. After I had him, I think it was the next day, I went and bought a bottle of wine because, you know, I thought, well, I might as well enjoy it. I haven't drank in nine months. I might as well have a couple glasses of wine and you know, from there it went. I I'm, I told you I work in the car business. It's just a pretty uh, stressful industry to work in, especially as a female. But I went to work, and you know, I work sixty plus hours a week, and it just came to the point where I would come home and I was exhausted, and I just wanted to drink. Mm-hmm. And I think it was probably, like I said, the last two years where it just became unmanageable, where it went from wine or beer to just straight vodka. Carrie, I don't have an official tally on this, but I've probably heard 20 to 25 times on this podcast that moms directly after going home from the hospital and some of them on the way home have picked up wine, their favorite alcoholic drink. So please don't beat yourself up for that. We've heard that countless times. It's the mommy wine culture, which our society justifies it, unfortunately. And that paradigm is shifting. That's what you're doing right now, Carrie. You're helping making that change. You're putting a footprint out there in cyberspace right now. This podcast will be up for thousands of people to hear. And we, you and me, are starting to change that narrative. So thank you so much for coming on of the courage to do that. And let's back it up with your parents. So you said your father passed away when you were young from alcoholism and your mother struggled with alcohol as well. Was there a time in adolescence when you're a teenager where you said, I'm going to do something different. And then later on in life, you're like, wait a second, I'm, I'm in the same spot. No, you know, I don't think I realized anything different because I'd watched it my whole life. So I didn't, I didn't have the awareness to say, I'm going to do something different. Carrie, I once heard <laughs> you could take the the hundred most powerful medicines in the West and the hundred most powerful medicines in the East, and it wouldn't have the power of awareness. And so, without awareness, which you didn't have, it's what you said. You 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 weren't able to view that with awareness, but now you have it. Now you're mm-hmm. aware of a drinking problem, or you now you're aware 
that alcohol no longer serves your future, where you want to go in life. And I've done so many episodes talking about the power of awareness. That's when all of a sudden, when we, when we become aware of the addiction and we start to gain energy around the idea that we want to move forward in life without alcohol, this awareness will start to align the external and internal environment to make that happen. And, and Carrie, I'm reading it right now your email and you are so close to the tipping point. And I don't know if you've heard that episode. The tipping point is when the energy around an alcohol free life is 50% greater, 50.0005 or whatnot, a little bigger than the energy around the addiction. And that's a mm -hmm. monumental shift internally and externally. And it's not for me to decide. I don't know when that person is at the tipping point, but it sounds like you are so close, sweetheart. Does that, does that jive with you? You were, you did. Oh with me yeah. There? I do feel like that I'm there. And, you know, just to branch off, and uh, when I had sent you the email, this hadn't happened. But the very next day after you and I had emailed, a friend of mine reached out to me. and Well, actually, I reached out to him because I, I don't know, I seem to call everybody when I'm drunk. But <laughs> he um, offered to hypnotize me, which I've never thought of using that tool in helping with my addiction. But I feel as if... You know, since I went through that se that session with him, and I have a recording that I listen to twice a day that just kind of helps you, you know, with your subconscious mind, just realize that, you know, that you don't want to drink because your mind thinks you do, but your body knows you don't. You know what I mean? And just kind of hearing that and, and reiterating that in my subconscious mind has really helped me just gain a more positive. I feel better than I ever have trying to get back into sobriety. There we go. I'm so happy to hear that. And before we get to today, talk to us about the last two years. I understand that's when alcohol really took a hold. Um, was there a time that you tried to quit? Did you try to moderate? Did any of that stuff work? And then talk to us about the job this last March. Yeah, I've always tried to, to moderate. It just has not worked out in my favor. I know over the last two years, a lot has happened with my job. I lived in Kansas for a while and then I moved back and I was away from my family, which was hard. And I think being in Kansas was really hard because I was away from all my friends, all my family. And, you know, I missed everyone and I was missing holidays and I just wanted to come home. So I was depressed and that caused me to drink more, which just caused more problems and anxiety. You know, I have horrible anxiety because of the drinking. And, you know, I have been pretty successful in my career. And up until this last few months, when my boss pulled me in the office and asked me if I had an alcohol problem, which I've never had that happen. And, you know, I, of course, I'm an alcoholic. So I lied and said no. <laughs> and then it was, you know, probably a week later, I walked in and said, you know what I do, and I need help. And I know that I need help. So what do I need to do? Because I don't want to lose my job. But, you know, unfortunately, the way things went down, I I understand business is business and he, you know, he couldn't deal with the fact that I couldn't come to work on time or I couldn't come to work at all, you know, cause I was, you know, too drunk or drinking and couldn't, you know, I drive, I work about 30 minutes from where I live. So I would be terrified to get in my car and drive because hmm. I've been drinking, you know, the night before or even the morning. I'm like, I can't drive. There's no way. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have the awareness to see both sides of the situation there. They had to make their decision and 
what's best for them and you had to do what's best for you, which was actually tell them about this. Something inside of you said, Carrie, right. we need to release ourselves of this secret, this energy that's being pent up inside. And right now, as we record April 14th, you probably wouldn't be at work anyways right now, I'm guessing, with with, uh, with COVID, shall mm. we say. Well, we would. It's still considered a required or whatever they're calling it uh, position. So the dealerships are still open. They're oh. just doing appointment only. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. So let's talk about your retreat right now. I've started off the last couple episodes saying, how's everybody's retreat going? And that's us, most of us, being at home, quarantined. How has this been? You, you, you got a week away from alcohol in probably one of the hardest times in the last decade or maybe in people's lives ever to quit drinking, Carrie. So first off, I want to recognize that you are an absolute badass for logging seven days away from alcohol when your mind has given you plenty of excuses to go back to alcohol. <laughs> How has that been yeah. for you? Up until this last week, it's been really rough. I mean, that's the hard part. You know, you get, you stay so busy being, you know, at work and doing whatever you're doing. And then it's like, you can't leave your house and uh, all you want to do is drink. Well, that's all I wanted to do anyway, but it's been, it's been rough, but the last seven days have been a lot easier. And, you know, at, at first I just clean a lot and took all the dishes out of the kitchen and hand washed them, which is crazy, but whatever it is to keep busy. <laughs> now let's talk about this interview right now. Did you see it on the calendar as I can't drink before this interview? No, not at all. Really? <laughs> no, no. Uh -uh. Okay. No, I, the thought, I mean, I was excited about the interview because, like I said, I've listened to your podcast and I was excited to speak with you and your audience. But, but no, I feel like even if I wasn't having this interview, I wouldn't, I don't feel like I want to drink anymore at this point today. Yeah. So, do you feel that something is different? I do. What do you think yeah. it is? I mean, so, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the listeners have experienced withdrawals, but oh, gosh. Last week was brutal. I mean, I was on my knees praying. I'm, I'm believing God, but I know a lot of people have a higher power, but please don't let me die. I mean, I could not tell you how horrible the withdrawals were. Wow. With the throwing up bad, and huh? the shaking. Oh, that bad. I mean, I, I've experienced it three times since I stopped drinking at Christmas, but this was the worst. And I just was praying, please don't let me die. Cause I thought I was going to die. I mean, that's how bad I felt. Yeah. How long did it last? Um, probably two days. Hmm. The first day was really bad. The second day was better. So I feel the tipping point is close when you're going through these withdrawal symptoms. So the first 72 hours for me, Carrie was always the worst, but something strange happened the last four to five times that I was withdrawing from alcohol. And fortunately, I never had to go to detox. It was something that I could do on my own. It was extremely uncomfortable. No chance of sleep the first two nights. The third right. night, maybe get some sleep. But I'm doing laundry because the bed sheets are absolutely soaked the first two nights. And But I remember the, th the last three or four times I went through these intense withdrawal pangs, I almost enjoyed it because... I knew I was using that pain as sobriety fuel. I knew something was different internally that this, that I wasn't going to be facing those withdrawal symptoms anymore, or I was on the other side of the curve. Does that resonate with you? Oh yeah. That's a, I would say that pretty much describes the way I was feeling. I'm just, I can't, I can't ever go through that again. I won't ever go through that again. Yeah. And 
there's this thing called ism, the incredible short memory, but I encourage you to, oh, to yeah. almost sit with that pain and, and use it as, as motivation, right? We can't stay sober in the long term off fear, but in the short term, that uncomfortable, acute physical withdrawal symptoms, man, that'll, that'll shoot you out of the gate strong. And it sounds like you're using yeah. it in, in that direction, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Gotcha. I know I want, I went to the grocery store. I went to Sam's yesterday. I know we're not supposed to, but I needed stuff. So, and I was walking through and you can't help that they put the alcohol right in the middle and you can't help but to walk past it in the, the store that I go to. And I just remember my stomach turned. I look, I was, I had to turn the other way and I just walked as fast as I could. Cause I'm like, uh, the thought I don't even like alcohol. You know, I don't like the taste of it, especially straight vodka. Who likes the taste of straight vodka? No one. You just like the way it makes you feel when you drink a whole bunch of it or whatever. Yeah. Who, who likes Papa vodka in a plastic bottle? Apparently exactly. I did. But oh man. This, Were you it, looking through my garbage earlier? No, when my parents cleaned out their basement, um, I got a call from my mom. It's like, Hey Paul, uh, do you want these four empty liter bottles of Popov? She was joking. I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. Where were they? They're like, well, so they're in some pretty good hiding places in the basement. Yeah. So yeah, I understand that. And with the Sam's Club earlier, I understand there's a business, right? And for the most people, this podcast isn't a knock on alcohol. If you're a normal drinker, drink one for me. But my right. qualm comes out there in the airports with duty-free. Sometimes when you travel internationally, you have to walk through the duty-free. And where was that? I was in coming back from Mexico, I believe. And everybody who went through the terminal had to walk past people like holding little shots of tequila. Everybody, they offered everybody. I mean, thousands of uh, passengers a day. And that was one they said, tequila, sir. I'm like, no, no gracias. But that one didn't sit with me well, Carrie, when I was walking past with my carry on luggage thinking, look, like I'm that for me, it was a no brainer. It was just like, it's ingrained in the neurological networks in my brain. I've already made the conditioning to just the unconscious self now says, no, thanks. I'm good. That's the go-to. Right. But I can right. only think of, you know, the first, there were so many times if, if I'm trying my hardest to stay away from alcohol, all it was going to take was somebody in a duty free lounge to say, Hey, do you want a shot of, to shot of tequila? That's something, huh? I'm not okay with Carrie. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't know what I would do if I walked in that situation right now today being seven days sober. It would be very difficult to not be like, ah, sure, you know? Yeah. Because it's like they're pushing it. They're pushing it on you. You know, you walk past it. They're not pushing it on you when you walk through the grocery store, but they place it in the right spots for sure. But it's not really the same as someone going, here, sir, have yeah. some tequila. Yeah. It's, and again, <laughs> this is not a knock on it, but that that's that's dangerous. And I feel that's going to be yeah. shifting. And I don't think it's going to be a fight against it just slowly as demand, right? Demand for alcohol decreases as we use this time and our personal retreat to build this inner happiness. It should be like, all right, there's more people just declining drinks. So that's that's my utopian view of things. And I do feel we'll get there one day, Carrie. Okay. I want to ask you a couple of questions here about your self-retreat. Um, you're seven days away from alcohol. What's been the hardest part? What are you struggling with most right now? Seclusion, I think. I haven't actually had interaction with anybody other than my children and going to the grocery store, you know, friends, family, anything. You know, Easter was tough. We usually spend it with family and we had to spend it here together with my kids, which was fine, but it's just different. It's hard. Church, I'd started going back to church, which has had been amazing for me. Not being able to attend church services has been rough. You know, I've been doing it all online, but 
um, it's still not the same as like going and sitting with a you know group of people worshiping at the same time, I guess, in the same room. How about that? Yeah, so it sounds like seclusion, and another word for yeah. that that comes to mind is isolation. And, you know, I've, I've said so many times in this podcast, addiction is confusing, but the opposite of addiction is connection. So that's been a difficult thing for many right now is, is finding the ways to connect. We are wired for human hugs, for human connection and touch. Mm -hmm. That's been a difficult one for me, too. So how are you getting through that? I'm just trying, well, video stuff. I've done some uh, video calls with my family, which is nice so I can, you know, interact with my, my family via Skype or Zoom or whatever. That's been helpful. Um, it is nice to be sober and be able to play with my four-year-old as, as opposed to just being comatose drinking, you know, all day long. You know, for the most part, I was isolating myself before the whole coronavirus thing, but I was, I was also drinking myself. You know, I'd sit in my closet or sit in my room and with a bottle of vodka and just drink until I could go to sleep. So it's different that I'm actually having to be sober and go out and, you know, clean and cook and do laundry and do things that, you know, parents are supposed to do. <laughs> but it's been nice because it, it, it is nice. You know, I get up and cook breakfast for the boys and cook lunch for them, cook dinner and, you know, just take care of them the way that I have not done a very good job of doing over the last few years. Yeah. And, and we're 25 minutes in connecting right now. That's pretty cool, yeah. right? We're doing Yeah, it. it is cool. And listeners, I, like I can see Carrie face to face or doing this Skype. You look fantastic and we're having we're having a good time. We're we're connecting in the best way that we can. Right. And we're, we're making it work. So Carrie, with seven days away from alcohol, how are you doing it? What are some concepts you you know, one day at a time? Like what are some rules, like quotes, mantras you tell yourself to get through this? Well, the one day at a time thing never really worked for me. I've tried it. But I keep telling myself, you're stronger than alcohol. You're stronger than alcohol. And I feel like that's true. And I want to be free from the alcohol. You know, I want to be free from it. So I just keep repeating those things to myself. You're stronger than alcohol. You want to be free from alcohol. You know, it's going to bring me a much better life. And I know that it's definitely not bringing me a good one up to this point. So it's not brought me anything good. And I would prefer to to try it on the other end, because I think that it's probably going to be a lot brighter. You are stronger than alcohol. I love that, yeah. Carrie. And I agree with you 100%. Listeners, let's try this out real quick. I'm going to say it too. Let's all say it. I am okay. stronger, I'm stronger than, than alcohol. And whether you think you can or you can't, whether you think you're right or you're wrong, you're right. And, but you are stronger than alcohol. And addictions take hold when you don't think you can stop, when you don't think you have the power. And it's, it's a little bit more confusing than thinking your way out of an addiction. But if we keep telling ourselves these mantras and phrases and we buy into them and we can change our energy with these small phrases, right? And we often think it's that one big light bulb moment that puts us past the tipping point into an alcohol-free life. But it could be the 33,000 times you tell yourself throughout the month of April, I am stronger than alcohol. And then you're going to start to flip it because the messages and the lesson you learn from alcohol, you're going to say, thank you, alcohol, for making me into this strong, grounded, thankful, whole human being. 
Because I feel that alcohol addiction is similar to what COVID is doing for the rest of the population. It's teaching them a lesson. It's, it's nudging people to go in a direction. And Carrie, the episode that I recorded yesterday says that we got a head start. So all this work, and I'm reading your email right before we did the interview, you have done so much work. And if, 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 we, if we put a number of seven days on that body of work, um, and for one, I think seven days is incredible, but there's so much more work that has been done that I want you to know that is, that's logged, right? There's so much internal work that seven days doesn't even come close to, to telling you how far you've come. And so you've had a head start on this care. You've been going internal, um, dealing with this inner pain for such a long time with your dad passing away, with your mom also going down that road with alcohol. I, I want you to let you know that we sometimes put ourselves behind the societal cue, like in the back of the line, but Carrie, you're on the front of this. You are, you are doing so much courageous internal work. I can see it in your face. I can hear it in your voice. You're going to be just fine. The tipping point is near or it's already passed. I'm not worried about that, but you're so much stronger than alcohol. That's the long winded point I'm trying to make Carrie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would get so wrapped up before, you know, cause you think about, this whole one day at a time, which it works for some people, that's great. And I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It just, it wasn't working for me. And I would think about, well, gosh, so, at, you know, my son's graduation, I can't have a glass of wine or at my, you know, the next wedding I go to, I can't drink or, you know, and then I would just start to get overwhelmed and it would be like, oh my gosh, this is just too much. I can't take it. I'll just drink because I don't want to focus too far on what what I can and can't do in the future. Cause who even knows if I'll be here tomorrow, you know? So to me, it's just right now I know I'm stronger than alcohol and I want to be free from alcohol. And that's just works for me to say those things. I think you just indirectly applied the one day at a time principle because what, what, what it hints at is the most powerful teaching of all time, which is one moment at a time, which is the only moment we've ever had, which is now. And you said right now, I'm not worried about drinking. And I feel like that's the micro and the macro is one day at a time, but the micro is one second at a time. And I'm watching we're at 29, 42, 43, 44 minutes or 29 and a half minutes into this interview. But that's where the moment we're at right now. And so, yeah, the first time I heard one day at a time, it didn't gain traction with me. In fact, I even had an interview at a long time ago said, you know, if you, if you're in a program that says, take it one day at a time, you need to find a new program. And I was like, boom, but the further I went with this, Carrie, I was like, wait a second. This is there. It's a hint. It's a nudge at the most powerful teaching of all time. Eckhart Tolle has the best book that I've come across about it called The Power of Now. And you just said right now, I'm not drinking. I'm not, I'm, I'm not drinking. And you're right. When we, when we go in the future, we think what we can and can't do. Those are all mind projections and the mind doesn't get everything right. <laughs> we both know that. Right. So it's going to tell you, you can't do something that you probably can. And then if we look at in the future that we can't drink alcohol, that's reinforcing a lack. We've actually just taken one step further away from our alcohol-free life. We've created a distance, a gap, and not the good gap that we want. We've created a lack, a separation from it. So I love how you said right now, I'm not drinking because you know why, Carrie, you and me and our listeners, we're stronger than alcohol. I'm loving this. And, and Carrie, what is on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life? Interacting with my children again. I mean, that I feel like my youngest has been so shortchanged as far as activities. You know, I'm 
my oldest one, we did a lot of stuff together because I was, it wasn't as progressed as it is now. So I was able to function as a sober mother and take him to, to do things. Whereas my youngest one, I, I haven't, you know, I, I just am too drunk to do anything more. So that is one of my, the main things on my bucket list is I want to become a better, better mother and spend better quality time with the, with my kids. I would love to be able to travel. You know, I haven't been able to do that in a while because I'm scared to even drive at this point because I'm so shaky and, you know, or drunk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So those are two of the biggest, biggest things on my bucket list. Now, I do feel the healing process away from alcohol needs to be a collaborative effort where it's great that we have our 12-step meetings or we have our our, our community with with others who who no longer drink. But it also, it's important to have the dialogue open within the family. And it sounds like in the email you sent me, you just stopped hiding it. And which I, which I feel is a good thing is, is, is then there's space created for the dialogue to happen. And you have a four-year-old and an 18-year-old. Do you talk to the 18-year-old about this? Does he know your goals, your struggles? Is he supportive? Where's he at with this? Yeah, he does know my goals and he knows he's very supportive. But again, I think he's kind of withdrawn from me you know he doesn't believe just like most of my family they want to believe that I'm going to be sober but they don't truly believe it if that makes sense you know he I think he's kind of indifferent at this point now if I were to go pick up a bottle of vodka he would take it and dump it down the drain 100% and if I said "Um, do you want to come with me to a meeting he would go but if you asked him do you think your mom's going to be sober in 30 days he would probably say no probably not because he's just seen me you know, go down the same path over and over where I tell him I want to and I'm going to and then I don't. Carrie, do you think you'll be sober in 30 days? Yes, I do. That makes two of us. And there's a powerful exercise I recommend you doing. So we can talk about this till we're blue in the face. And I heard a great quote one time. So for non-problematic drinkers, a thousand explanations isn't suffice. And for a problematic drinker, no explanation is needed. Okay, so what I recommend Mm -hmm. you doing is after this episode comes out, which is, I think, May 11th, sit down with your son, maybe even your four-year-old too, and play the interview. I've heard countless times from the interviewees on this podcast, I'll get a text or an email two months down the road, and it's like, hey, I finally played this for my wife, or I finally played it for my brother. I played this for my whole family while we were on a road trip in Zion's National Park. I can't remember who sent me that one, but they're powerful moments where they can hear this conversation take place and they go, whoa, mom's a badass. Carrie has been fighting this. She's had some demons (laughs) she's been dealing with here for a while, but she's doing her best and she needs our help and she's going to get through this. Is that something you'd be open to doing? Oh yeah, definitely. Very open with him. I mean, he's seen it his whole life and I owe it to him to to help him understand and, you know, work through it with him so that we can heal as a family. Cause I do believe it's a family disease. It's not just my disease or my issue. It's a family issue, you know? We're well, it all... does affect everybody. That is correct. Yeah. And, and they need their healing too, right? Your 18 year old son needs a healing and the four year old son as well. And together as a family, as a unit, I'm, I'm optimistic you guys can do this. So, what do you do when you get cravings? Have you had an intense one that you've made it past these past seven days? Not yet. 
<laughs> Gary's like, <laughs> I almost forgot about the interview. I haven't had cravings. I will be sober 30 days. I'm stronger than this. And Paul, I got to go. I've got a Zoom Zoom event right now. We're cutting this interview short. <laughs> no, I really have it. Not in seven days. <laughs> oh, that's, fan- that's great news. It's fantastic. Now, if you want to rewind, I can tell you a whole bunch. But sure. In the seven days, no. We're <laughs> all with it. And Carrie, one recommendation is in these seven days or the times where you aren't experiencing these emos- those emotional charges, now is the time to do the work to do the work. Now is the time to binge listen on this podcast, on other recovery podcasts, to read the literature, to start meditating. And maybe, I don't want to jinx anything, but we might be vi- you might be experiencing a pink cloud, right? Where there is some repose, there is some tranquility. And that's after we hit the tipping point where the body's like, all right, we can almost chill out for a little bit because we know that alcohol is not going to be part of our life. So now is the time to do the work. Do you jive with me on that? Yeah. Good stuff. And what are we doing right now, Carrie? We're doing the work, both of us. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, Carrie, we got one more question before we hit sure. the rapid fire round. Ooh, I got 12 questions to pick from. I got a good one here. What advice would you give to your younger self? That's funny. I was talking to my sister about that yesterday. I don't know that any advice I could give to my younger self, she would have listened. <laughs> she, she wouldn't. She wouldn't have. I think I was, well, I am a pretty stubborn, hard-headed woman, but as a young woman, I was even worse. So I could have tried to give myself advice, but I wouldn't have taken it. So I probably just would just hold her and tell her it's going to be okay. And it's going to be a rough road, but it will be okay in the end. And I really, truly think that that will be the case. So I was speaking to Chris. Oh, I can probably a hundred episodes ago and he's, we're going to get him on shortly. He's a rock star. What he does in cafe. Harry. Um, and his advice to his younger self the other day, we we're chatting about this and he said, I would say to drink up and <laughs> <laughs> you hear that. You're like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> You, you know, what I went through in three years in Spain from ages 24 to 27 was basically the advice drink up. In those three years when I owned the bar, it precipitated the whole progression. And I don't think if I had gone to Spain and gone through that experience that I'd be sober right now because I feel like I'd be drinking in my 50s. It's just I, I sped that process up. It's almost like I went to myself and said, hey, Paul, drink up, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> But I like what you said, Carrie, and also another answer for that was I'd walk back and I wouldn't say anything to my younger self, but I'd give him a hug and the hug would also insinuate, dude, I'm going to love you. However, this goes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> Rapid fire round. Question one, 30 seconds or less. Are you ready, Carrie? Yes. All right. What is a light bulb moment you've had? That I need to quit drinking, apparently. <laughs> hey, that's a I big lost one. my job. <laughs> when I lost my job, it was pretty light bulb moment that, Hey, this is out of control. <laughs> what is a memorable moment sobriety has given you? Um, well, Easter with my kids was awesome. I was able to actually hide Easter eggs and put out an Easter basket, which I haven't been able to do in years. So I enjoyed that memory. We had a great day. Now, what's your favorite non-alcoholic drink? Water. Love it. I drink a lot of water. <laughs> what are some of your favorite resources? Um, this podcast is my favorite resource. Thank you but for listening, I also, Carrie. Absolutely. Um, I also do, well, I was going to meetings and with AA, but now because of the whole, you know, everybody has to be ex- secluded, I'm not able to go. So that's kind of been rough, but I've been trying to just 
read as much as I can about the alcoholism and addiction just to kind of understand not only how your brain works, but just ways to cope with it as a family. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Just, I think you're stronger than alcohol. And if you just continue to um, surrender to the fact that you have an addiction and that, you know, it, it's not going to get any better, it'll probably get worse. So go ahead and embrace that and just do everything you can to know that you, that you're stronger and you can get past it. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if your 18-year-old comes into your closet where you're hiding and takes your bottle of vodka and dumps it down the drain. That's Yeah, that's that that qualifies. That's a good one. <laughs> and, and Carrie, story. thank you so much for showing up. And, and listeners, I, we've got a, a high show-up rate to the podcast. So I would say about 95% or higher of people who schedule an interview with me show up to the interview, which is, which is impressive, right? Especially after I, after I read your email and I pulled it up again this morning, about 30 minutes before the interview. And I'm like, huh, I don't know. I didn't know you had seven days, seven days away from alcohol that moment. So I just want to say thanks for showing up. You've been showing up for so long and I know you're going to continue to show up. Life's about to get incredible. Carrie stick with this. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And guys, before we depart, I've got a poem from a listener named Mia titled 12 Steps to Addiction. And you can see this poem in the show notes. Thank you, Katie Spaltz, for signing up for 26 straight weeks of doing show notes. She's volunteering to do this. You can see this in the show notes in your podcast media player or go to recoveryelevator.com and find it in the podcast post. 12 Steps to Addiction. A long time ago, I met a friend. Oh, it was a godsend. Together, streams of blood turn into a rushing river, shaking loose an ancient rigidity, like a hot-fired fever, cracking a cast of insecurity. Oh, paint my vision in saturated tones, warm my blood, loosen my bones. Tell me stories that aren't true. The biggest lie you told is that the only truth is you. I'm tightly steered by your white-knuckled grip, I will make it better, it whispers and sips. I buy another round of your intention to cure your mental infection, septic fears of imperfection, impermanence, loneliness, and rejection. I'm being taught to say goodbye to friends I used to see. These people surrounding you, you say, they are not like you and not like me. They are empty vessels floating by. I agree, because I no longer float. My mind runs until it can fly. I keep running, 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 but now I can't catch up and I can't escape. I'm talking, I'm laughing, sounds from my mind unheard, like a cold air's breath, they dissipate. I am alone. You implanted these thoughts, rewired my synaptic circuits into a million tiny knots. I need you to keep making this true, and when I wake up at four, I need more. I ignore the conscious mind, breathing notes of despair in my ear and around my neck. I'm unaware of the gun to my head and all the ways I've been misled. While I drink your poison, it is me that you usurp. I joyfully bask in your calm, dimming light until I'm met with the darkness. Thoughts reduced to a dizzying fog, words failing into meaningless, forgetful monologue. Oh, I want more of this story you sold, but you no longer talk. Your skeleton sits with me in silence, 
As I desperately chew on your bones, your eyes are barren stones. I will use them to build a memorial to every drop of poison I tasted, all the valuable time I wasted. A long time ago, I met a friend. It was a godsend. I was introduced to my vulnerability, reduced to an insanity, succumbed to this power, quietly stealing my vitality. A godsend who will make me climb a mountain to find my own cure, a challenge I didn't expect to endure, to ensure that I don't lose breath, running towards my destruction, towards a construct, an embodiment of everyone else's description of who I should have been. Ultimately, I've become lonely, constructed a fraudulent personality, succumbed to a common abnormality. I carry this world uninspired. This void you left is making me so goddamn tired. Mia. Wow. Thank you so much, Mia. That was powerful. Recovery Elevator, go big because eventually we all go home. I love you guys.